Welcome to Last First State Radio, featuring interviews with experts in dating, relating, and mating in midlife. And now, here's your host, Sandy Weiner. This is episode number 435 with Dr. Thomas Jordan, Healing Your Disappointing Love Life. Hi, everybody. I'm Sandy Weiner, and welcome back to Last First Date Radio, where we believe that a woman of value naturally attracts the respect and rewards she deserves in life and in love. Speaking of woman of value, I wrote a book about it. It's called Becoming a Woman of Value, How to Thrive in Life and Love. And it's filled with 30 tips and exercises to help you step more fully into your core confidence, into your value. And it's divided into three sections to stand up, show up, and speak up. Uh, mm-hmm. Actually, it's show up, stand up, and speak up. And, um, and I, I just find that we often hide who we truly are and hide our natural value from others and from ourselves. And so it's my mission to help you value yourself so others value you more. This week's tip on becoming a woman of value is do not settle. And I'm sure that will dovetail nicely into our conversation today because we often will settle for the wrong reasons. There are, there are reasons to settle. I think it's not really settling. It's just understanding that perfection or whatever that means is not really a true uh, goal to, to seek. But settling is what so many of us do when we give up hope. We don't believe in ourselves and our own value. We don't believe that what we want exists. And so we just diminish what we need and want. So whether it's in your love life or in any other part of your life, I encourage you to really look at what you might be settling for and rise up, take one small step towards the thing that you really want. And if you don't, if you don't do that, you won't get it. Um, before I bring Dr. Jordan on, I just want to give a shout out to my Facebook group. It's called Your Last First Date, and it's a fabulous place to come if you're over 40, you're a woman, and you want to grow in your relationships and learn how to be better at dating and communicating and setting boundaries. This is a place for growth, not just for whining and complaining, where a lot of groups for singles is just kind of stuck in that victim mentality. And that is not us at all. So join us at your last first date. And now for my guest, Dr. Thomas Jordan. He specializes in the treatment of chronic love life problems. He's the founder of lovelifelearningcenter.com. And in 2017, he launched the Healthy Love Life Seminar with his wife, Victoria Jordan, who is a psychotherapist. He's also the author of a newly published book, Learn to Love, Guide to Healing Your Disappointing Love Life. He has worked with the New York City Department of Correction, with Verizon, Communication Workers Association, the Police Department in New York, Con Ed, United Nations, and Columbia Presbyterian Hospital. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> That's uh, quite a resume you got there, working with a lot of big people. Yes. That's great. Uh, <laughs> so uh, let's get started with um, about uh, the emotion of love. What have you learned through all the experience and training that you have? About the emotion of love. Well, I, uh, I differentiate love from love relationship. That's the first most important differentiation, because in my opinion, love is an uncontrollable, unpredictable phenomena. It's psychological, it's physical, it's spiritual, 
And maybe it's one of the last things that we humans cannot control. So in that sense, that's part of its value. Um, love relationship, now that's a different matter. Um, how we relate when we're in love is something that we can do something about. And that was the reason why I wrote the book. And that's been an interest of mine for a lot of years now. Um, if I were to state my primary research interest uh, as an interpersonal analyst, as well as a psychologist, I've been interested in how to strengthen the psychological ability of my patients to form and sustain a healthy love relationship. That's how it began. And uh, I've seen many people over the past 30 years with love life difficulties and uh, collecting data, collecting you know, impressions on trying to understand love life problems. I came to the conclusion that many people were not in control of their love life. And that can be a bit of a shocking statement, like how come and why? And uh, the evidence for it was the, uh, the amount of repeating love life disappointments that were occurring in people's lives. And you, you touched on it in your introduction, the resignation, the settling. Uh, I found a lot of that as well. People feeling like it's best to avoid hurt and stop making the same mistakes over and over again and settle for living without love. So um, I set out to try to understand the causes of this. And uh, what I stumbled on, which is kind of still something I think a lot about is the, uh, the fact that most people don't know what they've learned about love relationships. It's not a conscious learning. Um, and uh, it's usually learned from the relationship experiences they have in their lives. Um, and so, uh, what, I, what I discovered is that if you don't know what you've learned about love relationships, then it's in control of your love life. And if what you've learned was healthy, great. If what you learned was unhealthy, then the chances of repeating love life disappointments and resignation are greater. So. Yeah, well, that's, you know, that last thing that you said, I, I totally see every day in my practice as well. It's, it's, we often learn the wrong lessons and some of those could be, well, I dated a lawyer and it was terrible. So I'll never date a lawyer again. <laughs> That's right, not right, the issue, right? right, right. Um, all lawyers well, are. <laughs> right, exactly. And all those, you know, absolutes are, yes. are really oh, yeah. dangerous. Absolutely. And, a co a common yeah. one is all men are, all yes, women are. all men are. Yeah, so I challenge my clients on that. Like, what you know, what are relationships to you? What is love to you? What is what are men to you? What, mm -hmm. and we have so many limiting beliefs. And um, I think you know, there's so much that's tied to uh, what we see at home and how we grow up. So, can you touch Absolutely. on that a little bit about Absolutely. how our childhood and our early experiences um, affect our love life? Yes, I uh, I collected ten relationship experiences that I kept seeing over and over again. For example, abandonment, abuse, uh, over control, dependency, dishonesty. Um, uh, ten different relationship experiences that kept showing up over and over again, and they tended to be replicated in people's love lives. Um, and they were lessons learned right from the very beginning. In fact, I, I kind of redefined the phrase love life to be any and all uh, relationships involving the emotion of love starting from the beginning of life. So 
our relationships with our our relationship with our mothers is a love relationship fundamentally we can learn a lot of lessons there unconsciously that we bring into our love lives and the word unconscious is a real interesting part of it it's that the family of origin is a classroom one of the most powerful one of the most important classrooms in our lives teaching us about love um but many people as i, I said a minute ago they they don't understand or know they don't know they're learning and they don't know what they've learned about love relationships because it's just considered something that I know what love is. I know it naturally or whatever I learned earlier in life is okay. I don't have to question it. We question everything else in our lives. Why not love life? So it's a great place to, to ask some questions and, and consider alternatives. Oh. Yeah. And that, that unconscious system that's running for us, so many people just don't don't know how to pick up on what the lessons are that we need to learn. Mm -hmm. And I know for myself, I, I saw things. I think I was always very in tune with psychological thinking, you know, just really, I was very, very in tune there, but I, but I still had a lot to learn when I got married um, because I chose somebody who I thought would stay, would keep me safe, right? It was, mm -hmm. that was the, the key principle for me was safety. And, you know, and I, I, I didn't choose him from my heart as much as my head because I didn't trust uh -huh. my heart. And uh -huh. I, I definitely went into this field because of my mistakes and how, how lonely it was to be in a marriage with somebody who really wasn't the right partner uh -huh. and the right kind of support. Uh -huh. But we, we choose for the right reasons. You know, we choose uh -huh. because of who we are at the time and the work we haven't done yet. Absolutely. And, and then hopefully we continue to learn. Um, so if you could actually go through the 10, um, the 10 key areas that impact relationships, but you, you said you have, you found 10, 10 abandonment, 10, abuse. Uh, yeah, relationship, yeah, so could... un, unhealthy relationship experiences. That's what I call them. Abandonment, okay. abuse, control, over control, dependency, dishonesty, exploitation, mistrust, neglect, rejection, and self-centeredness. Uh, these 10 relationship experiences, when we're exposed to them at vulnerable periods in life, they teach us a lot. Um, they, uh, they structure what we believe about love relationships. They structure our behavior. Um, and people under the influence of these relationship experiences can recreate them unconsciously in their love life in various ways. One way is to look for a partner, for example, who's abandoning, who's unavailable. Um, another way is to be abandoning or unavailable or a mixture of the two. I found those three types. Um, I'll give you an example from my practice a while back uh, that's always stayed with me. I did an initial interview with a, with a woman who uh, we were talking about her family. She told me she grew up in a home with an alcoholic father who was violent and uh, told me about all the suffering and stress that she was exposed to as a consequence of that. Then um, she, we, we went on to her love life and she told me she married two alcoholic violent men. And I paused for a moment and she looked at me and I, I said, how come? And she kind of had a blank face, like, what, why, what do you mean, how come? Like, 
this is what's familiar was the sense that I got. Like, this is for her what was familiar, almost like an encoding in the mind. This is the type of man that you consider who's eligible for relationship. So her work was to challenge that learning and to consider basically the opposite, a man who could respect her. And we focused on that as a big part of the treatment effort as well. So that's that's how the replication can take place. It's a, it goes from repetition to replication to the recreation of these things in our love lives and not being aware of how we're doing it. Yeah, and that's a very common story, unfortunately, of yes. choosing another alcoholic parent, a, a partner. Uh -huh. um, and parent, parent, partner. <laughs> parent, partner, exactly. Right. <laughs> Trying to reparent in your partnership. Right. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> and uh but it's it's um i i one of the subtleties of that that i found also that um, people who grow up in supposedly loving healthy environments don't always see the subtle effects of other things that are going on and i remember i had a client who told me i grew up in a loving home why did i pick a, a narcissistic partner mm. so when we discovered more about her home life her mother was sick most of her young you know her childhood and she was told you have to be a good girl and you have to behave and you have to kind of lower your voice uh -huh. and be careful around your mom not to upset her right. so it wasn't just this loving home it was you have to change who you are in order not to upset your mom and she learned to diminish who she was and attracted Absolutely. somebody who Absolutely. treated her the same way. Uh -huh. So it's, you right. know, once you can connect the dots, it's, yes. so, it's, it's an amazing thing. Yes, yes. And uh, self-centeredness, narcissism, um, each one of these relationship experiences creates a feeling that tends to be very present in the love life. For example, with narcissistic partners, the feeling of insignificance. Mm -hmm. And that's basically what you're talking about. The, uh, if you pick an abandoning partner, the feeling of loss is there. Uh, you pick a neglecting partner, the feeling of deprivation is there. Um, so that there's an emotional feeling aspect to these repetitions that show up in your relationship. And once you become conscious that they exist, that that's where the learning was derived from, it's a little easier to focus on it once you identify what feelings go with the particular relationship experiences you're looking for. Mm -hmm. uh, consciousness is everything in this. That's what I've discovered. Once you become aware of the pattern, then the possibility of change occurs. So I, I developed a bit of a unlearning method, I call it. Uh, basically three steps. Identify what the relationship experiences are that have influenced your love life. Once that's made conscious, it's possible to strengthen a person's ability to challenge those influences, uh, to become conscious of how they show up in the love life. For example, repetition, which is a, uh, an easier thing to spot once you become conscious of it. Wow, you know, my past relationships have been with dishonest men who cheated. How come? Oh, I can remember my mother. Uh, struggling with my father about cheating and infidelity in their marriage. So connecting the dots, as you put it, is a very important part of that, that challenge. And then the third step is practicing the opposite. Like if you 
if you've emerged from your family of origin with an influence of um, dishonesty, say, the importance of honesty in your love life and a conscious awareness of that is an important part of recreating, creating different experiences, healthier relationship experiences going forward. So I find those three steps are easy steps for patients to work with, to transform their love life experience going forward. I'm very hopeful about that. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen no, that good sounds changing. great. That's uh -huh. wonderful. So can you just review them again? Um, I just, yeah. I got a little lost on the second one. Okay, the, the first step is the consciousness step where you're identifying the relationship experiences that you've had in life that are repeating. Um, and that's the consciousness part of it. And it, it's like an empowerment to change, basically, because you're seeing what, what it is. You're, and people are able to review their love lives and, and begin to think of changing their love life as changing their love life from the inside out. Uh, the psychological ability to form and sustain a healthy love relationship. Um, in fact, I, I called it the psychological love life. Psychological love life being the mental representation of our expectations, unconscious, uh, in our minds that shape our love life experiences. So step one is to reveal all of that. Take a look at it. Um, step two is to challenge that repetition that recreation in our love lives. And that consciousness is very powerful and permits a person to begin asking questions, to identify what's unhealthy, um, to begin to talk about it in such a way as to deepen their understanding of how this repetition is in control of their love lives and producing unhealthy, disappointing consequences. Um, so that challenge, that disruption, you know, something that worked automatically is not being allowed to work automatically anymore. And that's, that's an important step in the unlearning process. And then step three is once you've shaken up the system, you can start asking questions like, what can I do differently? What can I do that would be healthier? And I found that the opposite of these relationship, unhealthy relationship experiences is an easy and simple way to identify that. What's the opposite of abandonment? Availability and attachment. So if you go, for example, I have a patient that has a, a string of unattached relationships because she was abandoned by her father in childhood. And she became aware of that connection and now has a, a little survey in her mind that she can bring to a first date, for example, to, to have a sort of sense of, okay, is this guy a committing kind of guy? <laughs> Does he want a relationship? Am I being invited into a triangle of unavailability or um, things like that? And so it permits a person to have a sense of a new direction that they can go in. To, to formulate new experiences in their love life, healthier new experiences in their love life. That's, That's my unlearning method. <laughs> yeah, I love that. And, and um, so, so speaking to what you just shared, um, this, this kind of questioning and trying to figure out if it is the right partner, people struggle with this. Like, do I come with a list of questions? Do I interrogate? You know, how, how do you suggest people find this information out sooner rather than later? Do you have any kinds of questions to ask? Any, um, any good tips there? Yeah, I think that uh, you want to avoid um, interrogation. 
Yeah, that, that's that, that's number one, because that will only create awkwardness, discomfort and problems. Um, but the consciousness we're talking about, about what what the Achilles heel is for your love life is a very important place to begin. Once you're clear on what type of repetition has dominated your love life in the past, then that enlightenment is a big step forward because without interrogating, and I, I believe as an analyst, right, as an analyst, I believe that people reveal a lot about themselves unconsciously. They can't help themselves. I remember an old supervisor saying to me, sometimes you just have to listen. People will tell you who they are. You don't have to dig so much, Tom, you know, this kind of thing. <laughs> and I, I remember that lesson. And it's true. When people get comfortable, you're on a first date, you're comfortable, you're in a nice restaurant, blah, blah, blah. people are talking, getting the conversation started is a very important step, right? People are talking, people will tell you about themselves. Uh, they may say it in code, perhaps, uh, maybe the next date, they'll say a little bit more, but you'll be able to collect information about certain things and be able to insert questions that go with the flow. Um, asking someone about their love life experience, I think is an important, question to ask at some point. I don't know if you want to rush in with that at the first date, maybe second <laughs> or third. Um, but I believe that people, people should be interested in the love life experience of potential partners. That tells you something. And so if you're, if you're cued into an awareness of repetitions you want to avoid, and you're listening to the love life experience of a potential partner, you're going to be able to match stuff up if there's matching to do. Um, and the same thing goes for looking for positives, not just negatives. Um, uh, for example, um, you're a middle-aged person, you've been divorced, perhaps you have a child who's older and you're dating again. So your, your first date is with someone who has a child, divorced himself, and you're talking and he starts talking about his child and how he takes care of his child, the things they do together. And you're able to examine the kind of intimate bond that man has with his son or daughter. Uh, I think that's valuable information about the relatedness of this person. And you're gonna collect that information. Okay, this is somebody who takes responsibility, it, perhaps has custody, that's a big plus. <laughs> Things like that will tell you about the capacity of someone to be intimate, very valuable information. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I think that people often look for the negatives and not the positives uh -huh. and both sides are important. And in any relationship that doesn't work, there were red flags right away that people just kind of yes, camped down. Yes, absolutely. Always, ignored, right? always. Always, right. right. And they're like, I don't know. It didn't show up until yeah. we were dating for a year. Right. And I'm like, let's look back a little yeah, further. Right, right, right. Absolutely. <laughs> When's the first time it right. showed up? Right, yeah. right. So in fact, in fact you, can, you can create a sensitivity for that as well. You know, that mm -hmm. once people understand that idea that you're emphasizing, they will go looking a little bit more a little earlier. Yeah. You know, I did a yeah. little survey. It's funny you bring that up. I did a little survey for about, I think it was about five years. I had this question in my mind. I would, when people reported 
uh, an ending, a marriage that had ended or a difficult relationship they got out of, I would eventually get to the question, when did you know that the relationship was not going to work? And through a little bit of questioning and a little bit of hesitation, 99% of the people I asked the question to would say, well, there was that first date. There was that, uh, that, that event we went to or that time, this and that. And so I, I think they, people know. We pick up what's going on. The old gut picks it up, right? Um, yeah. And in the 1%, there was one person that said, no, I'm sorry, Dr. Jordan, I, I, I can't. But then she told me the story of the first date and we were able to piece it together that there was an actual interaction between her future husband and a man he owed money to while she was at a restaurant preparing to have dinner. So as she reviewed the event, she realized herself, well, oh, that's kind of lousy on a first date. And he ended up being a, a cheating man and unavailable in certain ways. And so she was able to piece it together as she remembered the event. Yeah, no, it's it's fascinating. I think one of the things that I understood after I started doing research into this whole relationship field uh -huh. was that when you grow up with abnormal relationships, uh -huh. you know, when you're witnessing what isn't healthy, that a lot of times you don't trust that what you feel in your gut is real because uh -huh. you're so used to being told not to pay attention to your gut feelings and you've grown up maybe with chaos and sometimes you feel love sometimes you don't and you you're confused mm -hmm. so i think just doing this healing work and tuning into the fact that your intuition really does know um and and tapping into it and i think that you know in in the cases that i've seen and including my own, when you dismiss something as not so important, it's because you don't yet know clearly this is a line in the sand. Mm -hmm. You know, do not cross that again. And so mm -hmm. I, I think that when we have clarity about our value and our values, we just get better at saying, okay, that that was weird. That didn't feel good. Absolutely, absolutely. And yeah, and just also yeah. getting curious when something comes up to get curious and ask questions. I think yeah, we often yeah. just mm -hmm. get into our heads and right. make up a story and it could be wrong too. Right, right. And I believe that intuition you're mentioning can be uh, released as, as a consequence of learning from the relationships that are problematic. Um, as, as a person reviews their love life, they realize some of the things they missed that they may have known, but didn't give that knowledge credence or importance. So it can be after the fact, as a consequence of reviewing your love life, you know, making that a value. Let's, let, I'm going to review my love life disappointments to find out what I missed, what I could have seen. And I, I find that in my practice, when people do that, they, their intuition that you're talking about becomes enlivened. I'm not going to miss that again. I'm going to keep that going. I'm going to keep that on my shoulder. I know that if that shows up again, I'll see it right away. That kind of understanding, I think, empowers people to be able to see these things earlier, to make that intuition stronger. Yeah. 
I find also a lot of times they'll go from a six year dysfunctional relationship to a three month relationship uh-huh. that's dysfunctional yeah, yeah, with yeah, the yeah, same, yeah. right? So they're getting closer. Yes, they're noticing, yes. right? Progress. And, and, right, it is right. progress. And, uh-huh. and sometimes you can beat yourself up and say, how did I miss it again? But the point is you, you didn't totally miss it. You got it. <laughs> You got out faster and the next one will be better. And so I just want to let people know who are listening, who feel like there's no hope for me. I just keep repeating the same mistakes. Look at the progress, look at how you're learning and really shine a light on those things that you are ignoring again and again and get to them earlier, get, get to those, you know, like I have a client who just a long history of dysfunctional relationships and she did get out of one after a couple months and he was selfish, self-centered, um, didn't didn't pick up on cues that she was giving him that she wanted certain things. And so we're working together on her being more direct. This is what I, this is what would make me happy. Is this something you can do for me? Like mm-hmm. that direct is, mm-hmm. is uh, I think really important. People don't know. And if a person can't give you what you need and want, then that's a reason to not be with them. You know, right. you're not going to be happy and living in this place of hope hope and potential also gets people really stuck yeah, um, uh-huh. yeah. can you speak yeah. to that that like hoping somebody will change place that oh, a lot of people get oh, stuck that's in a, that's a big problem uh, in my <laughs> in my book I, I i talk a lot about how change is impossible changing somebody else is impossible what you're going to get is the two r's and that's not rest and relaxation it's resistance <laughs> and resentment <laughs> because people <laughs> people don't change because other people want them to and sometimes you meet a person who will look like they're changing but that's not real change that's uh, i'm putting on whatever you want but deep down inside i want something different um you uh, a friend of mine once said um the trick to a healthy relationship is finding someone whose faults you can live with i, like I thought that, that was kind of wise um <laughs> faults you can live with who changes because he or she wants to change not because you want them to change. So I'd avoid that. And the hope that you're talking about is when you find someone, oh boy, these five qualities are wonderful, you know, but this one over here is a big problem. I'll change him. I'll make him a more loving man, make him make her a more (laughs) loving woman. I will do what's necessary to change. I think that's a real rabbit hole that you want to avoid. Yeah. And I've heard another quote, and I'm probably going to get it wrong, but something like women get married hoping a man will change and men get married hoping the woman never will change. I've heard that. that. (laughs) Don't do it. Don't do it. That's my warning. (laughs) Yeah. So let's talk about your marriage for a moment and Mm -hmm. um, and then we'll, we'll, uh, we'll come to a close in a few minutes, but um, you know, you're both therapists and uh, give us a window into the kind of work you need to do in your marriage to keep it going and keep it strong. Well, um, my answer to that question, I'll step back in time just a little bit to answer that question. Um, I wrote the book for two reasons. One is research and the other is I changed my own love life and I wanted to put it in a book as a guidebook to help people do the same and uh, change my love life. I And I have a chapter in the book, chapter five, that talks about my love life in some depth. Um, I grew up with a mother who was dependent and controlling. And the women I found in my love life 
from 17 to 34-ish were, guess what, dependent and controlling. Um, and I had a series of, of disappointing relationships one after another, recreating the same feeling I had in my relationship with my mother around the time I turned 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. Um, I recreated that over and over again until a wise old analyst pointed out to me, you're using your mother as a template in your love life, <laughs> which I responded to like, what? Like I had no, I had not connected the dots at all. And once I connected those dots, I was able to work with it a little bit. Um, I remember um, I entered into a relationship with a very good friend, a woman, also a psychologist, and she and I buddied around for about five years. The relationship wasn't romantic. It was a true friendship. And I believe in that relationship, I learned things about women that my mother never taught me. I learned that women could be independent. I learned that women could be open and free in a relationship and not controlling. And uh, it was shortly after Allison and I departed ways and uh, uh, I met Victoria, my wife, that I realized she was an independent and not controlling person. So over a series of several years, we went from friendship to relationship, and then we moved in and got married. And uh, I changed something in myself that made it possible to be with someone like her. And we've been together for 26 years. Mm. That's a great story. Usually we are motivated by our own experiences to do the work that we do. And it's, absolutely, uh, absolutely. Yeah. And I, 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 it's scary to me to think that if I hadn't gone into treatment and, and I hadn't become aware of it, I might have gotten to the point of resignation, like, oh, all women are controlling independent and that's it. And the short-sightedness of that would be unbelievable. Yeah, and we all have these these stories that play inside our head that we're not even aware of. And I remember um, I had a story that men will disappoint. And I would look for it, you know, oh, you didn't show up for me. You're just like all the other men, just like my dad, mm -hmm. just like, you know. All right, check. <laughs> and, right, check. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right. And right. I also had a therapist say to me, you're looking for that story to repeat itself. Like, mm. you know, and it was, it was eye-opening to me. At first I was mad at her. Like, how could you say that? I yeah, know so right, much about right. relationships. <laughs> right, right? Right. That's the sign. It's, it's true. You're hearing, right? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, I think just, again, having that awareness is key. Being mm. able to be honest with yourself and see there are things we cannot see a lot of times and we need a professional to help us to get to to mirror what they're seeing uh, in our lives that we're mm -hmm. repeating so that we can stop and learn new behaviors so absolutely is as a final word of advice um for anybody who wants to go on their last first date what else can you share with our audience well i i would i would put in a simple formula what we were talking about, basically, I would say that um, reflecting on your love life is very important. And if you see repetition, any kind of repetition in your love life, 
it's worth asking questions about that. Um, and if the repetition is an unhealthy relationship that keeps showing up, maybe the same kind of person keeps showing up in your love life, the same kind of hurt, that's a, a bit of evidence to stop and think about it, identify what the relationship experiences are in your life that might be repeating and begin to challenge it and do something different. And I was hoping my book would be a guide for people who discover that repetition and want a step-by-step -step guide to help them make the change. Um, I, I wanna say, can I give you a little feedback? I am so sure. pleased to be on this podcast because Aww. I believe that your podcast addresses uh, the middle-aged group of people who are young enough and old enough to have the experiences of their love life. Basically, my type of patient, I, I, I did my, my practice on a graph, you know, the 20s, 30s, and then 40s. <laughs> you know? It's like so many people in their 40s and 50s who have a lot of questions to ask about what's going on in their love lives. So a podcast such as yours is so wonderful. It helps people think about it. You've given them a forum with which to reflect on their love life. So I'm very pleased to have been invited to be a part well, of this. Thank you. Thank I you. really appreciate it. And I appreciate everything that you've shared here today. It's been really eye-opening. I think that if people go out and get your book and, and really stop those patterns and stop the repetition, you can improve your love life drastically. Absolutely improve Absolutely. it drastically you know you stop dating the same person with a different face and that uh, uh, that's right, crazy right, making exactly right? <laughs> absolutely right right very powerful yeah. statement <laughs> same person <laughs> with a different face Woo! oh boy <laughs> wow uh, so tell tell our audience how they can find you dr jordan uh, you can find me at my website love life uh love life learning center.com um I'm uh, I'm in I'm at uh, 212-875-0154. That's my office number in the Upper West Side of Manhattan. I offer love life consultations. My wife and I, if people want to uh, do some work and need a little support to do it, um, and there's a lot of teletherapy going on now, so that's also a part of it. Um, and my book's available on Amsterdam and other not Amsterdam. That's where I want to go on vacation when this is over. <laughs> Amazon, Amazon, other book distributors. See, the unconscious is alive and well. That's right. I'm, I'm sure it's available in Amsterdam too. <laughs> yeah, I hope. Well, if you're not in Amsterdam, you can get his book online. And, yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your wisdom thank you. today. Thank you, Sandy. And thank you. Uh, yeah, and if you're if you love our show and uh, you willing to give us a rating and review we really appreciate absolutely. that it helps no our, question helps absolutely. our show grow absolutely um, and i'll do uh, more than everybody. that i'll refer people to you as well all right mm -hmm. thank, thank you. you and thank same you. here um and all this will be in the show notes uh, the links to dr jordan's podcast and the office number go out and get the book and we hope you go on your last first date very soon thanks for listening <laughs>